0: So before we get into the text, I wanna go back to childhood for a second. Did anyone enjoy childhood? Anybody? Like, yeah, less responsibilities. It was pretty rad. Um, When I was a kid, I used to play with action figures a ton. Did anyone here play with action figures? Yeah? Action figures were amazing because you could literally make them do anything. you You could be like, oh, I've got Darth Vader and he's fighting Batman. That would never happen in real life but in action figures, absolutely it would happen. Um, My cousin Tony, I remember playing action figures with him growing up and he had this deal where (laughs) when he was a little kid, anytime we'd be playing with action figures and we'd make them fight, anytime my character got the upper hand, Tony would always be like, I have a force field. And that was just like always what he went to. He just would create this mythical bubble around his character and therefore defeat me. Um, That has nothing to do with the study. I used to love, like, fantasy worlds. I used to play a lot of video games, and I love just, like, dreaming of other worlds. Um, When I was a little kid, uh, me and my sister Amy had a collection of stuffed animals, and we created this entire world based around the stuffed animals called Stuffed Animal Kingdom. And uh, I had a dog character named Snuggles, and he was, like, the president of uh, Stuffed Animal Kingdom. And she had a Dalmatian stuffed animal named, I think, like hot dog or spot or something. I can't remember. Um, and uh, yeah, one day my mom came to me and tried to get me to get rid of all my stuffed animals because uh, I had too many. She was like, "Aaron," she brought up the story of the rich young ruler in the Bible who like was supposed to give away all his possessions to the poor. And I was like, that's out of context, mom. Haha, I'm keeping my stuffed animals. And they're actually in my mom's attic because when I have a kid, I'm giving them my stuffed animals. Anyway... You can tell I'm sick because I'm going off on rabbit trails. Um, But back to the point, fantasy. Uh, When you're a kid, you you play in these fantasy worlds. Um, Sometimes you can get into trouble with it too. My sisters played with Barbies, and um, I would freeze the Barbies. I would put them in these cups filled with water, and I'd stick them in the freezer. And then I'd go outside in the cul-de-sac, and I'd throw the ice Barbies up in the air and watch them shatter because I was a great brother. Um, The point is we love fantasy because fantasy gives us purpose. Think about it. Every single fantasy world out there, there's some sort of purpose that drives the main character forward. Lord of the Rings, you know, Frodo, Bilbo, the hobbits. Gandalf comes to them and says, I've got a mission for you. I've got a purpose for you. Destroy the ring. Leave the shire. Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. How many of you guys are excited for the new Star Wars? Anybody? Yeah, Luke Skywalker back in action, Mark Hamill playing Luke Skywalker after like a million years. I I am more excited for the new Star Wars than I am for Christmas. But yeah, so <laughs> that like Luke Skywalker is, he has this purpose to go and confront Darth Vader and fight his father and overcome the dark side. Um, Hunger Games, like Katniss has this epic purpose to fight against the evil empire of the Capitol. And the first time I saw Hunger Games, honestly, I was very disturbed. Like I actually got, I'm a very sensitive person. I got upset because I was like, oh my gosh. I was a junior high pastor at the time and I was like, these evil capital people are making a bunch of like middle school kids run around and kill each other? That's not right. And like, my wife is like, That's, it's just a movie. And I'm like, no, it's not right. And I wanted to like jump through the screen and punch President Snow in the face. But the point is, fantasy gives these characters purpose. Like Frodo has to overcome the ring. Luke has to fight Vader. Katniss has to overcome the fact that her name sounds like catnip. That was a joke. <clears throat> Thank you for your courtesy laugh. But for purpose, fantasy is attractive because we love to have some sort of purpose. How many of you guys have ever felt aimless in your life? How many of you guys have ever felt like, oh my gosh, my life has no purpose right now. Like nothing I do amounts to anything. It's all just like air in the wind. That's another reason why some of us we love video games because you turn on the video game and like it's like your mission objective comes up on the screen and it's like you gotta go here and blow this up and shoot this guy and you're like, yes, I have purpose. Because when you're sitting there playing your Xbox and you have purpose and you compare it to like your homework and you're like, this does not feel purposeful. <laughs> this schoolwork feels tedious and it feels like it's going nowhere and it's not helping. Oftentimes, real life does not feel as purposeful as fantasy. For me, in high school, I often wondered like, what is my purpose? Like, what am I called to do? Like, am I called to go and like, you know, slay some dragon? No, I'm just a high school student. You know, and my week looked like I'd get up. How many of you guys hate getting up? Anybody hate getting up? It's the worst. Getting up is satanic. You heard it here, folks. I remember I would get in the car, we would carpool with um, the Hill family, and Austin and Ethan, uh, who were very young at the time, would like fight and pull at each other's hair and scream at each other, and I'd be like riding in the carpool, like, I hate my life, this is terrible. Austin and Ethan, get your stuff together. And then I'd get to school, and I'd see my friends for a little bit. I'd get yelled at by my teachers for drawing in my math notebook. And I'd go home, and I'd do hours and hours and hours of homework, and it was just like, ugh repeat every day over and over again and some of you guys are like you're describing my life right now um i thought you know maybe my purpose is saturday morning i love saturday morning in junior high and high school because saturday morning you got to eat cereal and watch cartoons and play video games and on a school day you would have to like drag me out of bed But on a Saturday, I would, like, wake up early. I'd set my alarm for, like, 5 a.m. so I could watch all the cartoons because it felt like it was giving me some sort of purpose. But honestly, all of that stuff always left me with some weird, empty feeling. And then I would think, oh, you know, my purpose is Sunday. That's it. I'd get up on Sundays, and I'd be really sleepy, and I'd get dressed, and I'd get in a fight with my sisters on the way to the church, and I'd drag myself to the high school room, and I'd be really sleepy, and then the worship leader would play worship, and I'd, like, mumble through the songs, and maybe some of you guys are like, you're describing me today, and I'd be like, oh, Bible study time, awesome, I like the Bible, I hope my pastor is funny today, or at least interesting, I hope he's not sick, because he's going to be really boring if he's sick, and I'd just be sitting there, and I'd be listening to the study, and I'd I'd get distracted by the math charts on the wall, that room. Remember the math charts when the school was there? and It's like, I don't even like math. What is my problem? There's this great Bible study, but I'm distracted by equations. And then I'd forget to bring something to take notes with, and I'd be, like, trying to listen. I'd be like, is he done yet? I'd be looking at the clock. Okay, he's done. Uh, what was that guy talking about? And then my mom would ask, what did you learn today in youth group? And I'd be like, uh, Jesus, because that's obviously the standard youth ministry response. And obviously, like, none of this was my purpose. Like, compared to Frodo or Mario or Luke Skywalker, like, I didn't have a purpose. Mario has a purpose, to to jump on turtles. Don't jump on turtles just because you saw Mario do it. It's not right. But listen, if you feel this way today, like, if you're here today, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life right now. Like, I am in high school, and I feel aimless, and I feel like I don't know What college I'm going to? I feel like I don't even know what I'm supposed to be focusing on in my life right now. If that's you, I want to encourage you that you do have a purpose. That God has knitted this thread all throughout the story of the world, and He calls us to follow. You know what I'm talking about? Like you get you get like a ball of thread, and you pull that thread, and it goes somewhere. God has been walking. He's been walking through history, and all throughout history, he's been leaving this trail behind him for us to follow. And every single one of us is called to walk in the footsteps of God. That is our purpose. And more so, we're called to fight in a battle. Like, every great story has a battle of good versus evil. Remember all the fantasy stuff I'm talking about, how we love these stories of good versus evil, we love these stories about Luke Skywalker fighting Darth Vader because it resonates in us. We're like, yes, I want to fight against evil. I want to conquer. We long for this battle. We're hardwired because the reality is we're in a battle. Like, did you realize that? We are a part of a battle that's been taking place since the beginning of time, Like every great epic legendary battle has a great epic legendary story. Um, I was listening to Evan Wickham preach this weekend and uh, he had a great analogy about it. So again, to bring up Star Wars, because I'm a nerd. um, What was the first Star Wars movie that came out? Let's see if you guys know this. Episode four, good job. Episode four, they started with four. So think about it. You pop in your VHS tape or DVD or whatever of episode four, what do you see? You see a starship flying through space and an Imperial cruiser trying to shoot it down and suddenly Darth Vader's on the ship with stormtroopers and he's like, where are the plans? And he's like looking for all of this stuff and there's this battle going on. And you know what? For the people who first watched that movie in the theaters, there was actually a whole bunch of stuff that happened before episode four, episodes one, two, and three, the prequels. And they didn't know about any of that. They had no idea who Anakin Skywalker was. They had no idea who Obi-Wan Kenobi was at that moment. They had no idea about the Clone Wars and any of that stuff. They thankfully had no idea who Jar Jar Binks was, and that was a great advantage that they had. Um, But here's the thing, the point is, when we open up the Bible, Right? You know how in the Bible it says in the beginning God created the heavens of the earth and then we just kinda of start there? Well, the reality is the Bible kind of begins with episode four, if you think about it. And there was all these other things that happened before we ever existed. There was a war in heaven between God, the angels, and Satan, and demons. There's this whole other epic history of things that we know nothing about. And so when we read the Bible and we we see in the beginning, we can't think that that means, oh, like this is like history begins with me, humanity, God made Adam and even humans. No, there's a whole nother history that happened before God made earth and humans. And there's a battle that's been going on since the beginning. And and understanding that there is this battle that's going on, it helps us to understand who we are. Like, I wanna ask you, do you know who you are? When you think of yourself, do you just think of yourself as, oh, I'm a student, and I go to school, and one day I'm gonna to go to college and get a good job? In America, especially for men, we define ourselves by what we do. When you meet a guy, the first thing that he asks is, hey, what do you do, what's your job? We find our identity in work. The reality is our identity is wrapped up in this great story that's being told from the beginning of time. Your identity is that you are a part of God's family. And before he ever made humans, he thought of you and he knew you and he was excited that you were gonna exist one day and be a part of his family. And the war, the battle, is Satan hates you. He's always hated you. And he's always wanted to separate you from God. And he wants to separate everyone else from God. That's the war that's been going on. And our identity is that we are born into this war and we're called to fight. When hard times come, it's not just coincidence. It's not just like, oh, that's life. When hard times come, when temptation comes, when trials come, it's a result of this battle that's going on. And the question is, are we going to fight? Are we going to realize that life does not revolve around us and our dreams and our visions, but life revolves around God's plan to rescue his family? Are we gonna fight in that battle? If you're not going to fight, then you're gonna miss out. If you are going to fight, you're going to need a weapon. Everyone take out your Bibles if you don't have them, or take out your phones with your Bible on them. We're gonna turn to Acts chapter four. Today we're gonna look at some fellow fighters in the battle. And we're gonna look at how they fought. So turn to Acts chapter four. Here's the recap of what happened. In chapter three, Peter and John were cruising down the street, they see a lame man. This guy was crippled from the beginning of his life. And this guy begs, he's like, Peter, John, please give me some money so I can buy some food. And Peter's response is, hey man, we don't have any money but what we do have is the gospel. Would you like to receive the healing of Jesus? And he reaches out and touches the man and he lifts him up and the man starts walking and he's running and jumping and leaping and praising God. And all of a sudden, all of these Jews come around the corner because they see this guy who they've seen for years begging on the street corner. And they're like, he's healed, what happened? And Peter uses it as an opportunity to share the gospel. You gotta remember he's speaking to religious Jews. And so we've covered this in the last couple studies. You guys have already heard this part. He tells them some really hard things that they need to know. He says, you guys killed Jesus. And then he tells them the good news. He says, it's okay, even though you killed Jesus, guess what, Jesus died for you. Believe and be saved. So let's look at the part of his speech to them. Um, Starting in, look, go back in verse three if you can and look at verse 17. I'm just going to paraphrase. This is the ending of Peter's speech. I'm going to paraphrase what he says. He says this, brothers, this is from the Message Bible, so I'm reading a paraphrase. Brothers, I know you had no idea what you were doing when you killed Jesus, and neither did your leaders. You didn't see him for who he really was but God knew it was all a part of his plan. If you read the Old Testament prophets, you can see the Messiah was always going to be killed. God saw this future evil and he worked it out for his good. Now it's time to change your ways. Turn to God so he can wipe away your sin. He wants to send down blessings on you like rain and he will send you the best blessing of all because even though you missed your chance to see the Messiah the first time, because you know you killed him, Jesus is coming back to save you. For now, Jesus has to stay out of sight in heaven, but once God finishes his plan to rescue the world through the good news, Jesus will return. Remember what Moses, for instance, said in the Old Testament. He said, God will raise up for you a prophet just like me from your family. Listen to every word that he speaks. Every last living soul who refuses to listen to that prophet will be wiped out from the people. This is the prophet he was talking about. If you wanna be saved, choose Jesus. If you don't, no one can save you from destruction and death. All the prophets from Samuel on down said the same thing. They said it strongly that these days would come. These prophets, along with the covenant God made you with your ancestors and your family tree, remember what God said to Abraham. Though your fa- or through your family, I will bless all the nations of the world. Jesus is what he was talking about, but you guys are the first in line. Israel, you're the first nation to be blessed. God raised up his son and sent him to bless you as you turn one by one from your evil ways. This is an amazing event. Peter was once this coward who hid and rejected, not rejected, but he hid from being outed as a Christian. He didn't want anyone to know he was a Christian because he was afraid of dying. Now Peter gets thrown before these Jewish officials who literally have the power to kill him They hate Jesus. They see Jesus as a threat. They're like, Peter, you need to stop speaking about Jesus or we will kill you. And Peter responds, I can't stop speaking about Jesus because Jesus is so amazing. That's Peter's attitude. He's speaking with boldness. Listen, Peter is realizing his purpose here. His purpose is to be a microphone. Think about it. Does a microphone say anything? Like, is this microphone saying anything? No, but a microphone allows a speaker to speak through it. In the same way, you guys are called to be microphones with your life. A lot of times we put all this pressure on us where it's like I have to speak for God, I have to stand up for, I have to do all this stuff. In reality, all you have to do is you have to allow Jesus to speak through you in the times that he asks to speak through you, that's what Peter's doing. Now let's look in verse four as we just cover the beginning of the chapter. Verse four, chapter or verse, uh, chapter four, verse one. The priests and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So Peter and John are teaching, and then they're interrupted. And the priests come. The priests are like the pastors of the day, and they don't like Jesus because Jesus is a threat to their church. The temple guards come. They're the security. And then the Sadducees come. Who are they? They were basically these rich Jewish guys, aristocrats. They were descendants of this old ancient Hebrew priest named Zadok and they were trying to like preserve his power. They were like, we're from the line of Zadok and we're really important. They were unpopular though because they would get rich off of the money that people gave to the temple. And they would also get rich off of the sale of animals. If you guys remember in John, um, there's that story where Jesus comes into the temple and they're selling animals in the temple and animals are like pooping everywhere and it's just like the... The, the church, the temple, that the place that's supposed to be the place of God, now they're turning into like this money den where people are just like buying animals for sacrifices. That stuff was important to happen outside the temple, but the, the, the Sadducees, they moved it inside the temple because they really wanted to make it like a centralized location where they'd make all this money. And that's when Jesus starts going crazy and flipping over tables because he's like, you're you're really disrespecting the house of God. This is who the Sadducees are. They're these guys where their focus is really money and power. Look at verse two. (coughs) They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. These Sadducees hated this because they actually did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees were a little bit more liberal than the Pharisees, and in their mind, they didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the miraculous. They were just like, oh, that stuff, it's all a bunch of fairy tales. And so they were super disturbed because they're like, you can't rise from the dead. If you die, you just go into the ground. But Peter and John are like, no, like when you die, if you believe in Jesus, you rise. The hope of the Bible is resurrection. Like The hope of the Bible is that when you and I die, we won't stay dead, but we'll live on in a resurrected body in the new heaven and the new earth. It's, it's hilarious to me that the Sadducees are disturbed by these guys preaching and teaching the gospel. Like The gospel is not disturbing. There's some things that are disturbing. Like if I woke up and I had four arms, That would be disturbing. Or like, if I had a hamster and I looked at the hamster and I was just like looking at it and the hamster looked at me and was like, what's up? That would be really disturbing. I'd be like, that should not happen. I remember a really disturbing story of, (laughs) there is this lady who lived, or no, it was this man who lived in this house and he kept hearing noises at night and he lived alone, you know? and he would like go and like search around his house with the flashlight and he's like, what are these noises that I'm hearing? And like literally for years, he kept hearing noises and he would go out in the middle of the night and shine the flashlight and then uh, he never found anything. So then one day he was like, okay, I'm gonna install security cameras. So he like installed this security camera in his kitchen and it's like, he goes and he watches the footage because he hears noises that night and he goes and he pulls up the footage And it's so creepy. It's like, he's watching this footage and like everything's silent and then all of a sudden one of his kitchen cabinets like opens up and this like Asian lady like with long black hair like the ring basically like climbs out of his cabinet and she's like in his kitchen like starting to make food and do all this stuff and then she climbs back into the cabinet. There was a Japanese woman like living in his cabinet and Yeah, that's really disturbing. She just basically, somehow, she was homeless and she ended up in the house and she was like, I'm gonna live in this dude's cabinet and come out when he's sleeping, so. That's disturbing. The gospel is not disturbing. Well, actually, it can be. The gospel can be disturbing if you're a sinner who doesn't want to be reminded about your sin. Think about it. I've talked to people before and I tell them the gospel on the streets and they're like, this is the best news I've ever heard because they know their sin and they're like, I know I need Jesus. I talk to other people though and like they are not aware that they're sinners. And when you bring it up, they're like, how dare you call me a sinner? Like, how dare you bring that up? And they get all offended and bent out of shape. To some people to hear that, because some people have a really high view of themselves, some people think of themselves in a way where it's like, I'm perfect, and I'm a good person, and I've got it all together. So when you come to someone and say, actually, just like me, you're a sinner and you need a savior, that can actually be disturbing to some people. But sometimes the truth hurts, and it's important for us to tell the truth. That's exactly what Peter's doing here. Look at verse three. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. It's a bummer a bummer for Peter and John, because think about it, like, they're coming off of this high. What just happened in the story? In the story, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit comes, it falls on the Christians, they're filled with the Spirit, they go out, they're speaking in tongues, Peter gets up and preaches this sermon, and thousands of people get saved. And then all of a sudden they're coming off of that high and now they're going into this low valley where they just, they stood up for Jesus, they did the right thing and they got thrown in jail. How many of you guys, when you go to camp, you feel like it's this experience where you're like spiritually, it's this huge spiritual high. Anyone ever feel that way at camp? Yeah, me too. How many of you guys have ever had a situation though where you come home from camp and right away, like the spiritual warfare starts? Like right away it seems like after this experience at camp where you've got this spiritual high, you come home and all of a sudden you're just attacked with temptation. Or all of a sudden it's like your parents are fighting. Or all of a sudden you come home and it's like you've got all these responsibilities that you weren't expecting thrown on you. That's what's happening to Peter and John. We need to realize that when we fight this fight that I'm talking about, this fight that's been going on since the beginning of time, angels and demons, God versus Satan, souls, heaven and hell, all of this stuff. We need to realize that when you fight for the Lord, you're going to face resistance. And honestly, I've talked to some people. I was just talking to a girl recently who like rededicated her life to the Lord And she's on fire for the Lord right now. It's like she's just like so excited about Jesus. Whenever I talk to her, it's just all she wants to talk about is Jesus. But she also told me, she's like, Aaron, I've never had a season in my life where I feel like the enemy has been attacking me more. The reality is, if you're here today and you're not really living for the Lord, you're kinda just going through the motions, the enemy's probably not gonna attack you because he realizes you're not a threat to him. He can just keep you in a place where he likes you to be, which is tempted and giving into sin and just this cycle of, oh, I messed up, God forgive me, oh, I did it again, God forgive me, oh, I messed up, like just in this cycle, he's really happy to keep you there. But if you manage to break out of that cycle through God's help and all of a sudden you're living for the kingdom of God, man, you're gonna get a target on your back. But you know what, I'd rather be fighting than sitting on the sidelines because this battle is what life is is all about. And you know, something that Christians shouldn't expect is a perfect, happy, fluffy life. That's the prosperity gospel. There's a strain of uh, theology called the prosperity gospel. And, uh, hold on. So, these guys who preach this, what they basically say is Jesus saved you so he could make you rich and happy and that's the point of life. Like Jesus died and bled on the cross so that you can have the car that you want and the house that you want and all that stuff. And to that kind of thinking, I just say, what do you say to guys like Peter who followed Jesus with his whole heart and was crucified upside down? Like, what do you say to guys like Paul, you know, who spent his whole life following Jesus and he was rejected and spit on and stoned, like not with drugs, but like people throwing rocks at him. Like he spent his whole life following Jesus and paying a heavy price for it. And you know, the reality is we live in a country where we are so blessed that we can walk down the street and like tell people about Jesus and not be attacked or stoned or beheaded and shot. We can have Christian schools. We can meet in a church place like this. We have it so good. We, have it like, we are so prosperous when we think of it that way. But Jesus didn't save you to give you every single thing that you want. He saved you because he has a higher purpose for you that's higher than getting that car or higher than getting that perfect house or higher than getting every video game system that you want. Following Jesus, the reality is hard, but it's worth it. Now remember Romans 8, 28. Most of you guys have heard this verse. It says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, That's a great verse. I think that's a verse, it wasn't written yet at the time of Acts, but I think Peter and John would have loved to hear that verse when they're thrown in prison. If Paul would have shown up from the future and said, hey, I just wrote this great book of Romans and I'm gonna read it to you. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That's an awesome verse. But does that verse mean when it says all things work together for good to those who love God and follow him? Does that mean that we always get what we want? It's one of the most misused verses. People think, you know, if I just love God, like everything's going to work out for me. I'm going to get that promotion. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to ace that test even though I didn't study. We need to understand that our idea, what does the verse say? All things work together for good What does that verse mean? Is it talking about our good in the sense where it's like, oh, like I get everything that I want. It's not our definition of good, it's God's definition of good. And listen guys, God loves you so much. Like you need to understand, you're not, like God said to his disciples, he says, I don't call you slaves, I call you friends. God doesn't say, oh, you're just a tool for me to use. You're just somebody that I can use for whatever purpose that I want. Just submit to me because I'm God. No, God is a father who loves you and he made you for a purpose and he has a great and amazing plan for your life to serve him and do great things for his kingdom. And yeah, let me tell you from personal experience, there are blessings on the way. Like following Jesus has led me to... One, an amazing wife who I love, just I'm out of my mind crazy for this woman every day. Um, I feel like I love her, fall in love with her even more. Uh, and I'm not just saying that to be cutesy, it's actually how I feel. Um, and uh, following Jesus has led me to a job that wasn't the job that I wanted when I was younger, when I first started out. It wasn't the career path I had chosen for myself, but let me tell you, it has been so much better than anything I ever dreamed of. So yeah, there are blessings along the way, but there's also hard times and struggles. And the reality is that, here's the reality. (laughs) This is, I mean, just think about this. Every single person out there that you can think of who is rich or successful or powerful but they don't have Jesus, guess what? They have trials in their life too. Their trial might look different than yours but they asked Harrison Ford to bring it back to Star Wars. Harrison Ford played Han Solo and in Indiana Jones. Like he is one of the greatest actors in the world. When he was at the height of his career, he has money, he has women, he has power, all this stuff. He was interviewed in a magazine and people asked, you, know, you, uh, you did all this stuff, you were Han Solo, you were Indiana Jones, like what do you wanna do next? And you know what his response was? He was like, I just wanna be happy. Like, even after all of that, he wasn't happy. How many celebrities have we seen who were at the top of their game and all of a sudden they're in rehab because of a drug addiction or a sex addiction? The reality is trials come to everybody. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The Bible says... The difference is if you have God in your life, if you have Jesus leading you, if you're following that thread that he's woven for you, you're gonna be in a much better place. I'd rather be dirt poor and have Jesus than be the richest man in the world and not have him. So the reality is God is always in control, but it's, it's hard to believe that at times. There's been times in my life where it's been really hard to believe that God is in control. One time, um, One time, my wife and I were living in this apartment building, and um, things were going kind of bad in the building. Like, uh, we found some mold in the building, and it was making us sick. One time, we actually walked over, and there was a mushroom growing out of our wall, and we were just like, "That's not normal. Like that, that shouldn't be happening." It's like a full-on shroom growing out of the wall. Like, what is going on there? And um, yeah, and then (laughs) things got worse because. we were in our bed sleeping when all of a sudden I feel this drip, drip, drip on my forehead. And I wake up, and I'm like, I'm like the roof is leaking on my face. That's not good. So I, was, I looked up online, like, what do you do when the roof is leaking? And it was like, you have to, like, poke a hole in the roof to drain it. So I'm like, okay. So I grab a stick, and I, like, get a pot, you know, to, like, let the water drain And I poked the hole and literally like the entire ceiling just went in it like this hole, this giant hole, like this big. And like all of a sudden there's like ceiling on my face, just our ceiling caved in. And now I'm like lying in a bed with my ceiling on my face. And I was just like, God, it does not feel like you're in control right now. And that's in those moments when I do have to remember Romans 8, 28 again, What does it say? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. God's always in control. Was the roof caving in on my face good in my sense of the word? No, but did God use it in my life? Was it a trial that God was able to use what the enemy meant for evil? God was able to all of a sudden make me trust him even more to go through the process of like getting my roof fixed and like, dealing with a hole and like rain pouring in. God worked it together for good. And it wasn't what I wanted in the moment, but it was good for me. Look at verse three and then four. Let's look at how this plays out for, verse, or for Peter and John. In verse three, it says they seized Peter and John, and, they, and because it was evening, <laughs> they put them in jail. I don't know why that makes sense. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Is that a good situation for them or a bad situation? Anybody wanna, what is it, good or bad? Come on, somebody just say it. It's bad, it's a bad situation for them. But then look at this, look at this, verse four. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Is that good or bad? Anybody? Come on. It was good. All things work together for good. Peter and John get thrown in jail. That's a bad situation. But then they hear, whoa, Peter, you preached that message, the message that you got thrown in jail for, and now there's like 5,000 Christians following Jesus. It's amazing. There's gonna be times in your life where you're gonna be looking at your circumstance. Man, I, ugh, gosh, if you weren't there on Wednesday night, there's this girl named Megan Prescott who shared. How many of you guys heard that? Anybody? Were any of you guys there at the beach? She had this gnarly story where she, it was, it was insane. Like, she was abused by family members from like a really early age, like, suicidal, wanting to die, like wanting to like, just go out and experience the world because she was so hurt and broken because her, her dad abused her. And it was so sad to hear, but then it was so encouraging because Megan was like, this horrible thing happened in my life and I could have been bitter about it and I could have just let it turn me into a bitter person where I hated everybody because of what happened to me, but God led me to see that through that entire experience, he was with me and he protected me and he loves me. And now I wanna spend my life sharing this story, not to say woe is me, all this bad stuff happened, but to say there's hope and there's forgiveness. And God actually led her to a place where she felt like in her heart she could forgive her dad for what he did. It was just this insane, this insane, amazing story of redemption. It was so good. And it brings me back to the concept of like purpose. You know, for Peter and John, was it, did they dream of it being their purpose to be thrown in jail? Like, did they from an early age say, I want to be thrown in jail for Jesus? No, like that wasn't the purpose they were thinking of. If you look in the Gospels, the purpose that they were thinking of for a long time was, I want to be like Jesus's king. I want to be like, his vice-king, his vice-president. I want power, I want to rule, I want all. Like That was their mindset in the early days. It, their, their dream was never to be ending up in jail. And now they're there and they're realizing God has a bigger purpose here. Let's look at what the result is. Look at verse five. It says, the next day the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. These are basically the men who killed Jesus. Like, imagine, you know, if the mafia, like, killed your family, and then you got thrown into a room with, like, the gang members who, like, were the ones who pulled the trigger. That's what's going on in the story right now. They are face-to-face with the men who are chiefly responsible for the murder of Jesus. For the disciples of Jesus, this is not a good place. This is like Luke Skywalker getting captured by Darth Vader or like Frodo in the clutches of Sauron. Verse seven says, they had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them. And they said, by what power or name did you do this? How did this happen? What power? The reason they're asking is because the high priest at the time, so this guy, Annas, the high priest, the high priest was known as the guy who had the highest authority. There was God, and then there was the high priest. And so they're like, you healed a man, but you didn't talk to the high priest. You didn't ask him permission. Like, whose name are you doing this in? And this is the best, the best part of the chapter. Look at verse eight, Peter nails it. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This answer is so awesome. He's filled with the spirit. Right now, this is not Peter speaking, it's Jesus speaking through Peter, and he's bold in the face of danger. He preaches the gospel, and he gives all the glory to God. He's not like, hey, I'm Peter, and by the way, I walked on water. No, it's all about Jesus. And for the Sadducees, like this is their weakness. They're like the Wicked Witch of the West, and like Peter's throwing water in their face. They're melting. Look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and saw that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there. Look, look at that again. It says they see these guys and they notice they're uneducated and untrained men, but they marvel. Why? Because they'd been with Jesus. There was something about these disciples. When the high priest saw these guys, they were like, man, these guys they're actually in the uh, original languages when it says they were uneducated and untrained man, or men, um, the, the phrase used, it means th- they were basically saying these guys don't have very good grammar. Like we can tell by the way that they're speaking, like they're not trained public speakers. Like these guys are not really good at talking. They didn't have grammar. But there was something about them where they were like, man, these guys, they sound like Jesus. Like, they act like Jesus. They, there's something about them that just, the presence of, Je- like, it's just, it's, it's almost like Jesus isn't dead, but it's like he's still alive, and he's with us. Now, catch that. Isn't that the whole point of the Holy Spirit in Christians? Jesus dies, but then he fills us with the Spirit, and when people see Spirit-filled Christians, the, the, the idea that they should have is, wow, when I look at, Dylan, when I look at Christian, when I look at Justin, when I look at Maggie, like, I don't just see them, I see Jesus. Because of the way that you act, the way that you love one another, the way that you obey, the way that you fall, like, the world needs to see Jesus. You know, sometimes like, this whole thing about them being uneducated and untrained men. Like for me, I didn't go to college. Um, I got out of high school and started a little business and it failed and then uh, right after that I went to Bible college for like one semester and didn't graduate Bible college and I got just swept up into ministry and I've been there ever since. And sometimes honestly for me, I kind of get insecure about my lack of education Like there's times where I'm talking to, I have this one friend named Caleb, some of you guys know him. Uh, He was a counselor in our group uh, back in the day. The guy's brilliant. Like he's just this amazing accountant whiz who like does all this stuff I don't even understand with numbers. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, you're so much smarter than me. Um, Brian Delmore was the junior high assistant a few years back and he graduated Bible college and I'm here and I only did one semester, and I'm like his boss, and I was just like, ah, oh, it feels weird, or like, Matt, you graduated, right? You're almost, yeah, so see? Like, Matt's had more theological training than me, um, and uh, sometimes I, I, I've gotten insecure about that. Like, I was even teaching at the Bible college somehow last, sem- or a few semesters ago, and I'm there in front of this group, and there's like people there who've did more semesters than me, and I'm teaching their class, and I'm just like, I feel weird about this, But you know what, the reality that I've learned is that even if I lack education in some ways, God can make up for what I lack with what he has. And for all of you guys here, you need to understand, the goal of life is not to become the most qualified or the most trained, the goal is to be with Jesus. Because when you are with Jesus, it fills you With his spirit, and you become more like him. Now, that's not to say that education is bad. I've heard some pastors uh, use this text to kind of be like, you know, yeah, you know, you don't need to go to Bible college, you don't need to go to seminary, like, don't learn about, like, all that stuff's stupid. All you need is the Bible and pray. And you're like, here's the thing education's great. (laughs) Bible college is awesome. I wish I did more semesters. I am trying to make up for lost time and read as many books as I can right now because I want to learn. Learning is good. I really want to encourage you guys, learn about Jesus whether it's studying on your own, whether it's going to Bible school. Like if you're in a Christian school right now and you have a Bible class, like don't take it for granted. Study, learn. Like these are great things. But the reality is no matter how much learning you do, or don't do, God can still use you. There's always gonna be someone smarter than you. There's always gonna be someone who's better looking than you or a better athlete, someone who speaks better, someone who's more charming, someone who's funnier. There's always gonna be somebody else who does what you do even better. So the reality is not being the best, it's just being the person who spends time with Jesus. That's the goal because Jesus is the best, he's the most educated, he's the most equipped and qualified, and when you're with him, people can see that you're with him, and that's what matters, that's what counts. So, as we wrap up today, I just wanna remind you guys, God's will is so much better. He's got a plan, he's got a thread, Think about Peter and James and John, or Peter and John. They start out as fishermen, and then they see that thread, and Jesus says, follow me, and they follow him. And the next thing they know, they're disciples, and they're like sleeping on the streets and following this crazy rabbi named Jesus. And then the next thing they know, Jesus is being crucified, and they're running away and hiding, and then Jesus is risen from the dead. And it's like there's all of these decisions they had to make, and at any moment, they could have bailed. They could have said, we're not gonna follow Jesus anymore. We're just gonna get back on that fishing boat and go back to fishing. But they kept following. They kept following that thread. They kept choosing to say God's will over my will. And now it's led them to jail, but guess what? They're gonna break out. They're gonna get out, and they're gonna continue to serve the Lord. They're gonna continue to do great things. They're gonna follow that thread all the way up to the point where they die. Peter dies, he's crucified upside down horrible death. John, he's exiled to the island of Patmos to die starving on an island, right? Not the best way to die, but they definitely live the best way to live. And what happens after they die? They wake up, and they're in God's heavenly kingdom. Following that thread leads to a life that is hard and challenging, but a life that's filled with purpose and with God's plans which are so much better guys I'm so glad that God does not give us what we want all the time like can you imagine if God gave you what you wanted all the time like I was thinking about that like if 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 at any point you prayed and said God give me this and he just did it oh my gosh there's a chance our lives could be terrible like when I was a kid I prayed, God, I really wanna grow up and become a video game tester. That job seems so rad. You know what, I read an article two years ago that most video game testers hate their life because they're constantly under these huge deadlines. They play the game so much that they don't even get to enjoy it anymore, and they always give them the version of the game that's buggy, and so they have to, like, like they're playing the game, and five minutes in, it's like the whole thing shuts down, and then they have to, like, type out this report about the line of code that messed Like That does not sound like fun. That's not sitting around and, like, playing Smash Brothers all day. That's, that's like, meticulous, hard work. I'm, I'm so glad that I didn't pray and God was like, that's your job. or. I had a crush on a girl named Sarah in kindergarten. And I was like, I'm gonna marry this girl. God, let me marry this girl. Oh my gosh. I don't even, I, don't, I haven't seen her since kindergarten. I have no, she's, she might be living in a van down by the river for all I know. And I could be living with her in that van down by the river if God gave me what I wanted back then. But God knew there was someone better. Someone amazing. Brooklyn. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Um, when I was a kid, I, was, I would pray and be like, God, give me all the ice cream I can eat all the time. I just want ice cream, all, like all the ice cream I can eat all the time. I would be dead. Like I would have died a long time ago <laughs> if I had all the ice cream I want all the time. What God always wants is always better than what we want. The key is to ask God, Lord, make what you want what I want. So that's my question for you guys today. Is what God wants what you want? Have you gone to him and said, Lord, I want to follow the thread that you're leading me, that you're leaving me. I want to walk in your will and purposes and not my own. I want to obey you. I don't want to just say, Jesus, you follow me. I want to say, no, Jesus, I want to follow you. I heard a great quote the other day by a guy named Bob Goff, and he was saying, um, the way that we have faith or don't have faith in a time of crisis, it basically illustrates, is Jesus leading us or are we leading and Jesus is just behind us carrying all our stuff, right? Is that the way you wanna live, where you're just like, running in the own, your own direction, saying, I'm gonna do things my way, and Jesus is like, hey, I love you, so I'm with you, but like, if you let me lead, things would be so much better. Is Jesus just the guy who carries your backpack on the way home, or is Jesus the one in front of you leading you, and are you trusting him and doing what he says? Let's pray, and then we'll split up into some groups. God, we love you. We thank you so much for this time. We're so blessed by you. Jesus, we thank you that you guide us and lead us. We thank you, God, for this story of Peter and John and how they followed you even when it was hard. They trusted you even when it was difficult, even when it led to things like imprisonment and death. But God, we see the effects. Imagine if Peter would have just stayed a fisherman, what he would have missed out on. God, we're so thankful that you have a purpose for us. You've called us to be a part of this great battle that's been going on since the beginning of time. Jesus, we're so thankful that our lives are more than just how many followers do we have on social media, how good are our grades, how much money is in our bank account. None of that stuff matters. God, we're so thankful that you call us to a higher purpose. I pray for these students that you would help them today to see how in small acts of obedience they can live out that purpose this week practically. We love you, God, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.